0: Good morning Bethel family.
1: Welcome to Bethel Community Church. I'm so glad to see you here today and I'm so glad to know that you're also connected online for those that couldn't be here. If it is your first time or your first time coming to Bethel Community Church we would love to get to know you and one of the best ways to do it is by going to our website mybethel.cc connect by filling out this let's connect card. Or by, if you're techie, you can scan that QR code on the seat back in front of you and tell us a little bit about yourself. We would love to get to know you and see how we can best serve you this week. Before we get started on week four of Love Made Me Do It, we have a short announcement from Pastor Ray. Good morning, Bethel family. How are you guys doing? Thought I'd pop in live and see you guys. How's everything going at Bethel? I need to uh, tell you, thanks so much for those that cleared the parking lot yesterday so we can get in. That was awesome. So you didn't have to, have to park on ice and slide around, that was good. So thank you for all those that were involved. Um, quick update about Christy, she had a port placement this last week. She is recovering from that. It's kind of taken her a little bit to get over it. She said, "Those of all, all those people that told me that this didn't hurt, they're liars. So she's like, it hurts pretty bad. So um, I think, but she's getting better every day. And so if you'll pray for her tomorrow, she has blood work uh, to make sure she can start chemo on Tuesday. The plan is that she'll start her first chemotherapy or second chemotherapy on Tuesday. And then that'll kind of trigger a every three week um, chemotherapy treatment. Uh, the cool thing is, is our doctor said that the first one did count. And so she has five left uh, starting Tuesday. And so supposedly around, I don't know, May, June, something like that, she should be wrapped up. And so if you'll just keep praying for her, that everything continues to move forward, that hopefully this first chemo that triggered the colon stuff and all that is the last kind of major hurdle. So. Uh, She's in good spirits. She's a fighter, as you guys know, and and we're grateful for all your prayers. It's amazing uh, to be a part of this family and a family that would really uh, stand with us during this time. It's very humbling, and we're very, very grateful for it, Um, so uh, we we thank you for that. Uh, I want to introduce my my friend, uh, Chad Penner. He's a pastor here in town. Uh, Chad and I met uh, five years ago. We actually served together for, for a couple years at Manna Pantry. Um, every Friday morning we get up and we go pick up some food and we take it over and stock the shelves and, and really fell in love with Chad and his heart. Uh, Chad and I grew up in a similar situation in church and then our paths diverged and uh, then God brought us here to uh, Yukon, Oklahoma together. Uh, Chad will tell you a little bit about his, his story. But what I'm excited about today is that uh, my friend Chad understands the, the love makes you do it, you know, the, this action of love. I don't want to embarrass uh, someone online that's watching online right now, but um, I got a a Facebook text from uh, a guy that used to come to Bethel. Uh, We got to baptize him about six years ago. His name is Leroy. Some of you guys know him. Um, He texted me this morning, and he goes, Hey, I've been thinking about it. Um, Do you think Christy would like my hair? Now, if you know Leroy, he's got dreadlocks down his back. And I said, Dude, Christy would look sweet in some dreads. I mean, that'd be awesome. Um, But here's the thing about that is the love makes you do things that you would never do. And so thinking about his, think his uh, sacrifice, uh, thinking about our church as we're moving through the season and how love makes us do what we normally wouldn't do. It's truly embodying the love of Jesus in each of our hearts. Uh, My friend Chad Penner um, is the pastor of uh, Canadian Hills. Is that correct? I always want to say Canadian Valley, but no, it's Canadian Hills, uh, Church of Nazarene. It's on Reno. Uh, He's been a major blessing in my life, and uh, I'm super excited to have him come and share with you how love has completely transformed his life and their church. Uh, Let's get started with our bumper, and then Chad will come up and take over. Love you, Chad.
0: When Ray asked me to, uh, to come and be a part of this month, I, I couldn't say no uh, because uh, I love Ray too. And, and I'm, I'm following along. And it's a, it's a thrill for me to be here with you today. Uh, Ray, Ray asked me to talk about why I would be so mean to disrupt church normal to reach the unchurched. And, and as I was thinking about that, uh, Three questions came to mind. I really think the wisest people have the greatest questions. And so I try to have good questions. It doesn't always leave me with a lot of answers. But I want to tell a little bit about my story slash our story over at Canadian Hills and how God has been working with us. So three questions stirred for me as I was thinking about raised question. What is church normal? Who are the unreached, and why in the world would I disrupt either one of them? Well, when I think about church normal, I I think about, uh, in my life, it's about waking up every Sunday morning, uh, driving to the church, finding my row, uh, singing some songs, uh, listening generally to some guy talk about the Bible, sing some more songs, um, go home and watch football best Sunday afternoons are over because the football season's over I, I just I played basketball but but I love watching football especially on Sunday after I'm an introvert and so by the time I get done with church on Sundays I don't even want to see my own kids most of the time uh, and all the introverts in the room you understand what I'm talking about like you just nothing uh, so, when I think about church normal, I think about that. Now, I don't know, maybe for you, church normal isn't every week, it's maybe every other week. More and more, it's becoming less and less often, and that, that really bothers me. And I think one of the reasons that that's a reality is because we don't understand church rightly. You see, the problem is, is that too often we see the building as the church. The truth of the matter is, and I know that, I know that you've heard this from Pastor Ray, that the people are the church. The people of God. We, we are the church. It, not the building. This is just the church's building, this place that we come and we gather in, and we're thankful to have them. But I begin to ask questions like this. Would it be normal for people who proclaim that Jesus is Lord, their leader, to huddle around in buildings as if it's the end game? And often, I believe that that's what we have done. And the churches that I've grown up in and loved, the churches that I've served and I've loved, I I believe that's that's often normal. But see, normal isn't the same as natural. Normal is not natural. Unless you believe that the Bible starts with a place like Genesis 3. I don't know... About you, my guess is you think the Bible actually starts with Genesis chapter 1. I I certainly do. And then if we skip way, way forward, uh, Jesus would say something like this in John 10, verse 10. He says, I have come that you may have life, and I like to say it this way, full life. Not lacking in anything that God sees as important. It's a meta-level response to people not living naturally. Normal, but not natural. And the people who are living normal but not natural, they were the church-going people of Jesus' day. They were the, the so-called people of God. And so I began to question in my own life and, and for the churches that I've served, do our habits empower this full life that Jesus is talking about? Well, if we're going to answer that question, then it stirs another question. What does it mean to be fully alive? You see, there's a couple of competing views in our lives day and, and they've been around forever they, they they change slightly but but there's two really competing views of what it means to be fully alive uh, we have one that we embrace here as good westerners and and that that worldview the western worldview it, it embraces some basic things i, I would suggest things like to be good to obey the laws at least of the political party that you voted for and to be incredible consumers of the American dream. Uh, There's another worldview. uh, Another worldview that's actually shaped by the scriptures rather than humanity. In in this worldview, the biblical worldview, it it gives us an image of a time and a place that was before this one that we find ourselves in. It's a time and a place where things functioned differently. You see, Genesis 1 it tells us that, that creation was in perfect harmony. In fact, when God looks at what He's created in verse 31 of chapter 1, He says, man, that was good. Actually, He says, that was very good. Right? Are you all out there? Yep. Yeah. See, I've been training my people to be a little bit more responsive. <laughs> and, and, so, and so I just had to make sure, because, you know, the thing about that place adam and eve were naked and it it didn't cause them to be separate from each other it wasn't it wasn't an issue they didn't hide from each other they they weren't hiding from god but then genesis 3 we read of course that 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 does happen and and nakedness throughout scripture becomes a, a metaphor for sin exposed when i think about sin Well, probably shouldn't get ahead of my notes. In Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, Solomon has built God's temple. It now, it now stands, and God is speaking uh, to Solomon about how he wants to function. And even in that early moment, God recognizes that people won't always be faithful. They'll they'll choose normal instead of natural. And, And in that, God says to Solomon, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, their unnatural ways, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will, do you know what the rest is? Heal their land, or, or the New Living Translation says, I will restore their land. The call to restore all that has gone wrong since Genesis 3, all, all the, the nakedness. When, when, I, when I think about sin, this is one of the ways I, I learned to, to uh, describe sin. Sin is a ruptured relationship, it certainly does do that. It's sin ruptured relationship both between myself and maybe my wife or my kids or a neighbor or a coworker or or a classmate, those kinds of things. It's a ruptured relationship between human and human, but it's also a ruptured relationship between human and God. Now, not all sin is created equal, though I mean theologically I gotta tell you it is, but but it's not in in some sense, in the metaphorical sense at least. See if you can follow with me. Uh, my, I, have two, I have three boys. Two of them have reached the fun season of being teenagers. So I understand, Javier, your, your pain. My oldest is driving, which is wonderful and terrible alike. Uh, and, then, and then a 14 year old. So because they're teenagers, they've reached the season of pimples. Now, my wife is kind of sick and wrong sometimes. It's okay to laugh, because she knows that she admits it. Uh, my wife loves to take their faces in her hand and, like, push her fingernails through the backside of their head to get the explosion, the rupture of the zit. Are there any other weirdos like that in this place today? You're weird, because y'all, y'all messed up. That's what I do know, right? And, and, and just like that, unless it's like prom night, zits really aren't like the end of the world. They're, they're generally kind of a, a, a little thing. Uh, but, so there's that kind of rupture. Uh, and then there's the t- types of ruptures that are, are, we'll call them volcanic in nature. The kind that mess up. The jet streams and climate and send us two inches of ice when we don't deserve it. And, and uh, it, those are significant. And in life, those ruptures are the ones that, that cause marriages to end and, and life to not understand how to go forward. It, they cause deep wounds, right? And so, like sin is all sin is equal in the eyes of God because it breaks perfect relationship. But we understand that the impact of them on us varies, doesn't it? And and so God is speaking about the desire, the plan, the intention, the reality that when God's people who have not been in right relationship with Him turn from those unnatural ways, that, that He will restore all that has gone wrong this image of a restored land a healed land I want to suggest is, is a biblical view of being fully human fully alive it takes us there it it returns us to genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 where god looks at his creation and says man that's good it is really good Uh, there's a there's an equal image in in the revelation 21 and 22 that that if you haven't read there you should go read genesis 1 and 2 this afternoon and revelation 21 and 22 because they both give us these images of a life fully alive and so then that stirs questions for me when i understand those images from god's word another question does this church normal the habits that we hold does it does it cause us to partner with god in these kinds of ways that would bring heaven to earth as jesus taught his disciples to pray and what i saw and what i often see i have to answer no And so if not, well, what must the church look like? How must the church function if we're going to be responsible with the call of God on our lives? So that's the first question. What is church normal? The second question, it's a much shorter response, okay? See, I normally preach about 45 minutes. When I was told I only had 25, I don't know how to do that. So we'll see if I can figure it out. The second, the second question is, is who are the unreached? And I believe very simply those are, it is those who are far from God. Romans 10.9 says that if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be what? It, Ray doesn't let you all talk in church? There you go. Man, I, I tell my people all the time, it's okay to talk in church when I tell you you can. Uh, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God, Jesus is Lord. You'll be saved. You see, we, we separate the idea, well, the, the idea of belief in the languages of antiquity. It, it's uh, It's both a thought and an action. Never separated. But when you and I use the term like believe, it only means like what's going on up in here. Maybe to here. And then then whatever comes out of that, we we tend to think that that's a different thing. But, But that's not the way the scripture gives it to us. And so what we believe would be Fleshed out in what we do without question. Absolutely happens. The two are the same. And I believe that those who are far from God, their life does not give witness to the power of the resurrection of Jesus out of the grave in their own life. we, We would label people atheist, agnostic, criminal, that person that you would uh, block on your social media feeds, the person that we say they should not be leading their people that way. Uh, we, we, We tend to go there, but when I read the Bible, it suggests to me that there are a lot of church chair fillers that are also far from God. Because we come in week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade. Some of you have had lots of decades maybe of doing this. And and you find yourself doing the same thing over and over and of God, over and over, but but we must live out our faith. We We must be the kind of people who live out what is said in between this cover. Otherwise, the Scripture is really clearer than we desire it to be. Jesus is even meaner than much of the Old Testament. If you don't, you are far from God. And so I began to sit with things like that. The third third question is, why in the world would I want to disrupt Church normal and the lives of the unchurched. You see, I believe that the Bible is the Word of God. I believe that everything necessary for being in right relationship with God is given to us in the Bible. We don't need anything else. Sure, there are other sources that, that support and all of that. But, but everything we need to know to be in right relationship with God is right here. But the problem is, it hasn't entered into the realm of belief for many of us. We think it. We have some emotional attractions to it. But we find it bringing us into a place week after week, month after month, year after year. And what really changes is the world around us really changing? Is heaven coming to earth like Jesus taught his disciples to pray and act? See, I believe the Bible starts with Genesis 1, and that gives me greater hope than if I believe it starts with Genesis 3. Because if it starts with Genesis 3, then, then I understand that, that it's just not really that great. And, and the, the struggle, my human flesh will always win. But when I start with Genesis chapter 1, it gives me this image that, that I can live in right relationship with God and I can do so powerfully, victoriously. That, that God is the greatest power. Jesus is, or, or God is uh, bringing his people out of bondage. They've left Egypt and, and they're headed toward the promised land. They've got a long ways to go because, well, like you and me, they make decisions they shouldn't they start with Genesis 3 instead of starting with Genesis 1 and, and their thought processes, and they think we'll be defeated rather than the God of all creation tells us we will live victorious, that the promise is for us. And then and then Exodus uh, chapter 20, Moses is receiving the commandments and the very, very first one that God gives I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods, right? First one, you know them? We're not going to have a quiz today because I promised I'd get them out of order. Okay? But the very first one, God says, have no other gods. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read something like that, I begin to think, man, this God is arrogant. Unless... Unless this God is transcendent. I don't know if you know what that word means. It means outside of, other than. That God is not something that was created. I'm preaching through Isaiah in in my church, and we're on like a 28-week journey through Isaiah. Uh, I know Ray likes to do series a little faster around here. Uh, sometimes my people might want to come over here, uh, but <laughs> it's okay to laugh. I have to. It's the only way I keep going back. God is transcendent. He, he wasn't created by anything, we believe, but God actually created all that is, right? Right? You believe that? I, I know you do. I know your pastor does. And, and, and so, if God is transcended outside of, he is not equal to, nor should God be made equal to, less than God on any level, to the gods and idols that we would create out of our whims. And so, if God truly is transcendent, then, then it's not arrogant for God to claim that there should be no other gods because actually it would be incredibly unloving of God to suggest that it's okay that you and I would have other gods in our lives. So God says, have no other gods. but, But God just doesn't stay there. You see, this loving God that is completely transcendent, he's beyond all that we could think or imagine, does something really profound. You probably, it was the first verse you probably memorized. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen? Now, now we often stop there, but we shouldn't stop before verse 17 because we, begin, we understand God's love even more when verse 17 tells us that God sent not a son into the world to condemn it, but that the world through him might be saved. That the world wouldn't be set apart from God, but that the world through Jesus would come back into right relationship with God that is the transcendent one. This is exciting stuff. Because this is the kind of stuff that, that transforms life. And then as I read my Bible, I begin to understand something. That Christians cannot be right with God if we are condemning the world. Now, listen. I believe what's in the Bible, I believe there is sin. But we should not be the person on the corner with the bullhorn condemning the world of its sin. Love doesn't do that love enters into life with, just as our Heavenly Father, through the being of Jesus, came and entered our space. We too must enter people's space so that they know love. Peter condemned Jesus to the cross. Three times, I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know. I mean, like, when it's all on the line. Peter says, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I'm not with him. And that, that same Peter would write, after having experienced God's love, Jesus' forgiveness. In 2 Peter 3, 9, would say that God desires that none would perish but that all would reach repentance now the new living translation which i know is is, uh, is the one on the slide that it says the what's the last word there okay i grew up baptist and i grew up with this thought that it's a one time prayer and i'm done the longer I live, I struggle with that because I know even in my own life, I prayed that prayer as a kid. I remember, I remember after, after asking Jesus into my heart, I, I remember looking down the street. I grew up in a town of 500 people, half a mile square. I mean, it only gets smaller and nothing ever changes. But, but I remember, look, I was so excited. I was so thrilled. It was such a wonderful moment. That I, and I looked down the street, and the past, our pastor lived uh, at the end of the block, and I could see lights on, and I called him. It's exciting. Uh, but the longer I lived, I, I realized that there's this part of me that just keeps fighting against that. I mean, I, I've made some really bad decisions in my life that have ruptured relationships with my wife they've ruptured the relationship I have with my boys with others and, and and the new living translation it says repent others suggest repentance like it speaks to a place of living not a one time thing but a place of living and, and my hope would be this prayer that we pray asking Jesus to be lord would lead us to a permanent place in our relationship with god where there is perfectly right relationship But if you've prayed as Jesus to be Lord and then you've stepped away, you need to understand something. God isn't looking to condemn you. God is saying, I love you and I desire to be in right relationship with you wherever you are. I desire for you to be facing me rather than to be facing away. And if God desires that none would perish, but that all would be in right relationship with him, and I believe what the Bible says, then I must also function from that place as a Christian. We, we actually don't use the word Christian in our church, not because we're like a cult, <laughs> But because how many people do you know call themselves a Christian, and you know the lives they live don't look anything like what you read about Jesus in the Bible? Somewhere along the line, we've kind of messed that one up. And so we don't, we don't, we don't talk about ourselves as Christians, though we wouldn't say we aren't. but we talk about what it means to be a Christian, we, we, our mission statement is that we exist to be biblically responsible Christ followers in my church. Uh, because it separates truth and reality all too often in our culture. If God desires that none will perish, but all would reach repentance, and if we really believe what we say we do about the Bible, it'll cause us to do some really crazy things. Like disrupt what is normal for the church and for unbelievers. And the time that remains, i got 10 minutes. I can do this. I, I, I want to share just a little bit. Ray asked that I would share a little bit of some of the things that, that, that we have done. Not so that you would be like us, because, because I'm, I'm, I'm one of your cheerleaders. I'm excited for how God is working with you. And, and you need to continue to listen to your Pastor because you're only beginning to scratch the surface of what he dreams and prays and believes is going to be a reality for the kingdom of heaven coming to earth because of Bethel. And Bethel Cares is a, is a, is a great beginning. And, and it's, in, an, it's in, an, in its infancy, I believe. And you should give yourself to it more than, than you comprehend that you can. The the service that's going to meet after this. It's really good stuff. I'm really excited that you would do such a thing to take that step as a congregation. When I moved to Oklahoma, I lived in Houston, Texas for 11 years. I went to Southern Nazarene University before that. Before that, I was a, a really dorky, tall, Langley kid in Kansas, born in Michigan. Um, when I moved here, the church I inherited, I had no idea how unhealthy it was. On the surface, it looked great, but it, but it was terribly unhealthy. And so I wanted to begin to shift it to become right with God again. And so one of the very first things we did is we created a Kickstarter fund within our missions budget to uh, encourage and help families foster and adopt. We just said, we know how the state works. It's not so good. And so if you want to bring a kid in your home and give them new life, we're going to throw some money out as a congregation to help you. We're going to bring food. I know that's a part of Bethel Cares. I mean, who doesn't need food? Uh, We're going to to find ways to make it really easy for you to transition as easy as possible to having these new lives in your home. And so we started the Kickstarter. Well, that Kickstarter kind of expanded, and then we found ourselves working with Youth and Family Services in El Reno, hosting trainings, those kinds of things uh, that were early on. We adopted an elementary school in town, Townshedick Elementary. My hope was that it would become this really significant deal because the church I'd served in Houston, we had done similarly. And, and, uh, and, and we had some cool things. You know, parent, uh, how many of any teachers in the room put one, two, three. Yeah, yeah. so, so what I understand is like it w- parent-teacher conferences are really long days. And, and, so, and so we found out about that, when, and they asked us to bring dinner at like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And, and so we started, when parent teachers conferences happened, we would take dinner over and, and just to kind of say we love you. We would, we would find the different gifts from time to time. And it was just a way for us to kind of live outside ourselves. To say, God loves you, and so do we. We care about what you do. Um, we started mentoring kids. Uh, I've been mentoring the same kid for like six years now. Man, he's a knucklehead sometimes. Sometimes i, I I'll holler back at the school and say, I don't, I don't know about this. Uh, but, but I give 30 minutes of my week, and uh, COVID kind of jacked it up but but if if you serve on staff with me uh, my expectation is that that you do this and and 30 minutes a week to go to one of our our schools and just let a kid know that you know you're loved you're cared about Uh, that's one of the things that we've encouraged our people to do but i got to be honest that that doesn't go so well and covid shut down the the youth and family services stuff as it did a lot of things uh we we uh we're kind of in the shadows. Sometimes it feels a life church, even though we're on the same team. And when I moved here, um, the church that I'm pastoring, we, we had small groups. And, and I didn't want to use the term life groups because of life church, and, and, and that was what we called them in Houston. And I, I wanted to kind of break away from that. And, and, but but uh, small groups, they, they were, they're good and all. But, but often our small groups become just another, like, holy huddle, and it's the end game. And so we, we launched what we called missional communities. And they're small groups that the goal isn't to meet together every week or every other week or whatever, but, but to live our lives in a way that has a specific impact for those around us outside of our church family. And, and I'll, I'll just tell you, um, they went really good for about a year and then they crashed and burned because uh, people not right with God decided they wanted to be internally focused. But if we skip forward to the last couple of years, some fun things. And I'm going to run out of time, so I'm going to try to go quick. Uh, when there's five Sundays in a the month, there's about four of those a year, we actually uh, lock the doors of our building, lock our own people out. We call it Live Out Sunday. We actually, uh, well, we lock the doors of the sanctuary, and, and we let them into the lobby for a continental breakfast, and then we go and serve in our community. And, w- and we go and serve in different ways. We've, we've painted stripes on playgrounds. Um, We painted a widow's uh, house. She didn't like us before. When we knocked on her door and said, your house looks terrible, Uh, would would you like help? Uh, We actually found out she didn't like us, and then by painting her house, now she thinks we might be okay. (laughs) I guess. Um, Now we're, though, four times a year isn't enough now we're asking the question how can we close the gap how can can our efforts together go from here to here and then way out here welcoming heaven to earth in in those ways together how can we do that to where it becomes more like this and it becomes like just the way we live who we are because we want to be in right relationship with God and the Bible tells me that someone who's right relationship with God loves God and loves others. So we had a uh, palindrome this week, right? Ano- like we needed another reason to eat tacos. <laughs> but Tuesday gave us that. I lived in Houston long enough. Uh, Spanish, Mexican food like five, six times a day. Uh, <laughs> I mean week. Uh, but, but there's a greater one uh, that happened a couple of years ago, 02,02, 02, 2020. Uh, I want to tell you why it 's it's a, it's a better one for me. It was a day that forever changed a household and a pastor and his family and a church, and I believe is changing an entire community. But before I, before I uh, do that, I, I have to go back to August of 2019. I just come home. I told you earlier I 'm an introvert, and so by, by this Sunday afternoon, uh, i 'm going to go home and like go into a state of comatose. But in in August 2019, I I had just gotten home. I'd laid down on my couch, and I got a text message from a lady in our church that said, hey, so there's this family that I know through a Facebook um, mobs group deal, and and, uh, their son is really struggling, suicidal, middle school kid. I can't even begin to comprehend that, honestly. It's so far from where I grew up. Is there any chance you could go and meet with them? And i went, like, oh, my goodness. There was another guy in on the text message. I was hoping he would respond faster than I did <laughs> so I could just stay laying down. But I knew that I was like totally out of his wheelhouse. He'd be completely uh, overwhelmed by the idea. And so I said, okay, I'll go. So I found myself at Mickey D's on Main Street. And, and I walk in and go... Um, It was arranged we were going to meet in the Playland area because there's a little sister. Like, it doesn't get any worse than McDonald's Playland on a Sunday afternoon for me. (laughs) But so I walk up and I say, I'm Pastor Chad. And they said, well, we're atheists. And I said, now that that's out of the way, (laughs) how can I help? And they began to tell me about how their middle school son his son suicidal yet again he'd already been in saint anthony's two or three times he's a middle schooler it's just something's wrong with that long crazy long story i'll try to short it because i'm running out of time they end up i encouraged him to uh he needed to go back to the hospital they ended up taking him back to the hospital that day but he wanted me to come visit him there a pastor, visit a child psych ward for an atheist. So I go, and, and when he gets out, he wants to come visit our church. <laughs> come on. They bring him, because he wants to come, and at the, they're at the end of the rope. They bring him, and and they come, and then he wants to come back, but he's with mom the next weekend, so he, two weeks later they come, and then two weeks later, and every other week they're starting to come. And then there's this Sunday. Which I was like, did I see you here last week? They, they, they came on a Sunday two weeks in a row, and then it became three weeks and four weeks, and then week after week after week after week, they're coming. And then on Wednesday nights, uh, we were doing this uh, prayer gathering for adults when teens and kids were doing their stuff, and, and we're... We're getting ready to pray and I look out and this atheist couple walks into the back of our sanctuary. I'm going, huh, how's that work? And they said, you know, we've just found this to be a peaceful place. Sit back there, no problem, we'll let you be. (laughs) As we're praying. Skip forward a little bit in time. New Year's Eve, before the end of the world, as we now know it, uh, thanks to COVID, uh, they're in my house and, and, and uh, talking, and, and he, he's a foreigner. He, he's from, from Europe, and so he said a lot of things that night that were like, wow. Um, okay, and, and, and we had this wonderful time, and as they're getting ready to leave, uh, the wife says, so we need to talk kind of soon, okay? Said, our church stuff is getting in the way of our atheist activity. <laughs> okay. I, whatever. Yeah, let's talk. You see, I don't know if you know this or not, but even in Yukon, Oklahoma, there's an atheist network that exists. And, and this atheist network, I think it's the coolest thing, actually. Uh, several of them uh, gather together for brunch every Sunday morning. Now, they they tend not to like us, like we tend to suggest we don't like them. Unfortunately, Um, that's what happens when you make the church building the end game. But but um, actually, the thing that's really really cool about this network is they have an underground railroad for domestic violence victims. And we began to learn about it. We said, "Do you think they would let us participate?" Like when hell freezes over, o <laughs> two o two twenty twenty I'm preaching through Romans, like thirty weeks and and you might not after thirty weeks <laughs> but. I'm preaching through Romans, and, and I, under, I had this understanding of love. And, and see, for Paul, love is more of a decision than an emotion. We've really kind of reversed that. And I made that comment that Sunday afternoon, 0202, 2020, I, I lay down on my couch, hoping not to see anyone, including my family, for a few hours, and I receive a text message from uh, this atheist couple And her text says, we have decided to love your God as our own. Uh, Folks, if we, if our church thought that the building was the end game, that never would have happened. The atheist friends began to reject them, much like we Christians all too often do when somebody walks outside of our fellowship. But over the last several months, I have driven in to be part of or participated super close with three extractions of women in our community being abused. We help them find safe emergency shelter. We try to help them move into, move from being victims to survivors. It's a totally organic deal. It just happens. And then we try to come alongside them. We even had this one, man. He was the cutest little thing. Live with us for a few days. Because mom wasn't capable in the moment for caring for him. There's more I could share. I'm out of the time. But I will say this. Love made me do it. God's love for me. God's love for us, his people, his created existence. My love for God because he first loved me and and for others. Love. Will make you do some crazy things. And I pray it continues to call you out to do likewise. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we, we are thankful to be here today that you first loved us. God, I, I pray that that as we continue in our time together today, that it would not become the end, but that it would propel us, it would empower us, partner with your Spirit's desire, that we would love as you first loved us. Uh, God, I, I pray that, that each one that hears my voice would experience life, full life, the way you, Jesus, taught us that it, it can be. And God, I can't help but today as I'm gathered in this place, a special opportunity. Lord, I lift Ray to you as pastor. I lift Ray to you as husband and father whose life has been shaken. And Lord, we lift Christy to you. And we cry out to you, Father, as Yahweh Raphaim, the God who heals. And we pray that you would do just that. We Believe that you can. We trust that you will. Lord, I, I pray for this body called Bethel. Lord, Lord, I pray that your spirit would descend on them, that it would draw them out, that this place would never be the end game, not for one and not for all, God, that, that it would only be a place that they gather for the very intentional reason of being sent out as people who love as you do, and that they would become known in our community more and more, greater and greater, For a church, people willing to do crazy, absurd things so that the world may know your love and call you Lord. Amen. Am I on? Yes, I'm on. What a great service. Hey,
1: (laughs) I I have a gift for you. A gift for me. Oh, you're giving me your remarkable? Sweet. No, not that. (laughs) That's you're gonna give me the case.
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna give you the case. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) Um, No, but you posed that question. You said in Exodus 20 chapter or Exodus chapter 20 verse three, the greatest command or that the first commandment was to have no other gods before you, and you said that seems kind of arrogant. And I'm like, I've never I've never thought of it like that. So you're
1: giving me your God. Yeah.
2: So here's the deal. So if I give you this but I don't give you this knowing that this is better. You have the pen, you have everything in there, right? We would call that incredibly unloving. Like that's not a good gift knowing that there's something actually better that I could give you. And so for God to say, I want you to have the best. Mm -hmm. I want you to have the best God, the most powerful God, the most transcendent God, and nothing else will satisfy in the way that he can. It's actually not arrogant. It's actually not uh, unloving or selfish at all. It's mm-hmm. the most loving thing that he could have ever done. Is He mm-hmm. gave us access to the most powerful, transcendent, loving God that we could ever imagine
1: yeah. through Jesus. And he's not a distant, um, disconnected God. And actually, thinking through Chad's message, thinking through what God does through love, it simply comes down to one tiny word. And we say this all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your next yes? Yeah, and so um, God led Chad to do something, and he said yes. What's God leading you to do? It's not mm-hmm. the exact same thing that Chad's doing, but it is something. And so, what's your next yes? Yeah. In um, our next service, which we got to wrap up because it's about yeah. to start, um, we actually uh, said Thanks, yes Chad. months ago uh, to starting a bilingual service. Yeah. And so it's a little different. It's uncomfortable, but we're saying yes. So what's God going to do? And I told yeah. Pastor Ruben yesterday. Um, This all started back in 1984 when my parents said yes when they were living in New Mexico to go to Central America. I mean, this started a long time ago. So the yeses continue. So what's your next yes? Uh, Here at Bethel, we exist to love and lead one another, to to find find and follow follow Jesus. Jesus. Love you. You guys have a good week. Have a great week.